It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Thursday episode of Locked On Raptors, the Yakub Pirtle experiment has gone swimmingly so far, but what about long term? How will Yakub Pirtle adapt the way the Raptors play defense? How is he going to fit into the offense? How will he inform the development of Scotty Barnes, Preston Jachua, and more? We'll get into all of that with Mark Schindler of Everywhere on Basketball Internet coming up in just one second. Thanks so much for hanging. Oh, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the first of the Hail Mary 3 by Mopey. Get that garbage out of here. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 1344 of Lockdown Raptors for Thursday, February the 16th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley. I've been covering the Toronto Raptors now for nine seasons on various platforms. You can find all of my work over on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can follow, subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast for free on your favorite podcast apps and audio form. And we are on video on YouTube each and every day. You can go to Lockdown Raptors on YouTube. Hit the big red subscribe button. We're pushing towards 3,000 subs. I appreciate all the folks who have done the kindness of pressing that button. It's a wonderful thing to do, and it's free. It's a wonderful way to stroke my ego without costing you any money. I don't see the downsides here at all. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started and we will get started by welcoming in today's guest the most podcastingest man in nba media <laughs> the nicest man in nba media and of course a wonderful dog owner as well it's mark schindler how's it going buddy uh first of all i appreciate the intro um i i'm good we were we were chatting before we got in here i've been really busy um yep so you have been, been cranking a, it out dude yeah just a little <laughs> bit um so i'm i'm yeah no but i i'm i'm, I'm chilling i uh, i've been enjoying the uh, the yakub to, to toronto experience um i'm excited to talk about it too i was glad that you reached out to me because i uh yeah yeah i was i i think i was uh i don't even want to say i was higher on the street i just thought people were too low on it in general when mm-hmm. it happened so um yeah i'm excited about where it's headed well, you see, Mark, on this here podcast, I am toxically positive. It is just the brand I makes two put, us, put onto myself. I <laughs> love it. And as soon as I saw you post last week your your, your positive feelings about the move, I was like, I got to get Mark on to push the agenda, baby. So we're going to do that today and just kind of take a look at Jakob Pertl. Obviously, three games in against iffy competition. There's only so much you can pull from that, but there is stuff to pull from it, of course. And I want to get a look at, you know, sort of from your perspective as to what things are going to look like on offense on defense we'll dig into the play-in mix a little bit as well as it's pretty clustered now for those you know six seven eight nine ten spots in the eastern conference but let's start with defense shall we mark the raptors their biggest problem all season long has been defense obviously there's much made of nick nurse's stubbornness when it comes to his hyper aggressive schemes and the lack of adaptation we've seen part of the lack of adaptation has been a lack of personnel to do said adaptation with 
Jakob Pertl is here now. He has been a traditional drop big for the Spurs for a long time. You know, while he has those you know, those fluffy feet, he can kind of move around and get out to the perimeter and hang with guys in a pinch. Maybe not the most ideal usage of him to bring him up to the level of the screen like we've seen the Raptors do quite a bit. There's been some drop mixed in as well through the first three games with him in Toronto. But I'm curious, Mark, just in general... How do you think the arrival of Jakob Pertl is going to affect the Raptors' defense long-term? Do you think we'll see some adaptation? And if not, is he still good enough at what he does to at least be that sort of backline of defense the Raptors have badly needed behind their hyper-aggressive scheme? And so even if it's not an optimal use of him, can he still be good enough to help fix a lot of the issues the Raptors have had? Yeah, I think uh, exactly like you mentioned, like they played him a ton at the level of the screen. I think that especially in the Orlando game, they were better at like he was still playing near the level, but it was like a little bit farther off. So I felt mm-hmm. better about that. They've been willing to switch him, especially late clock too. Um, and I mean, he's capable of doing it, which I think mm-hmm. is, it, it counts. Um, I would like to see them play him more in, in drop. I don't think it's going to happen all that much just based on how the team typically plays. But I also think you're not like I don't want to say you're not sacrificing anything, but I think he's so good still at playing close to the level of the screen mm-hmm. and just being a deterrent, which I think is an upgrade from what they've looked like most of the season. Um, a lot's going to depend on like how the the other man in the pick and roll action plays alongside him too. Um, mm-hmm. But I think overall, I've been pretty encouraged about what that looks like and what that can mean going forward because we're talking about you know going from being a um, you know a, a bottom ten defense to like at least just being average and hanging mm-hmm. above water which considering what the offense has been i think that's enough for, mm-hmm. for what what you want to be obviously there are improvements that are gonna have to be made but i think it's got a lot more to do with personnel than just you know playing harder or playing differently so mm-hmm. um ultimately i think that there are positive signs i want to see some implementation that's going to be different but I, i'm not entirely sure we're going to yeah, I mean, you would assume that if there is going to be a time where they kind of implement more yak-friendly stuff into their schemes, it'll be between now and their return after the All-Star break in eight days or whatever it is. Um, so we'll see. I Yeah, Nick Nurse, it's weird because he kind of got this reputation in the first year with the team as being this crazy adaptable guy. They're going to play different defenses every single time down the floor probably in large part due to the whole team being made of basketball savants who could kind of flip the switch whenever they wanted and Marcus mm-hmm. Saul calling things out. But he has been, it seems, a little more steadfast in his schemes the last couple of years. And if that's going to remain, at least Jakob Pertl will maybe give them a better shot of hanging in that scheme, which is very Definitely. hard to maintain over 48 minutes, let alone 82 games. Yeah, he you, just you gives, not to, yeah, not to cut you off, but he just gives no. you a better safety net, which I think yeah, is important, sure. like just by virtue of being bigger and being mobile. Like, I yeah. think as much as I like Precious, I still think Precious is kind of learning some of the in and outs of pick and roll defense. Like, he's been very good. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously, I think there's just a difference between being 6'9 and being 7'1 um, that yeah. you can't really <laughs> account for. Um, and I think, like, being able to, like, okay, well, we're going to have Precious, you know, roaming baseline and he can he can tag up and, and be our backline guy. Like, I think you just by having Jakob able to command the center of the floor, I think you open it up to be not even necessarily more aggressive, but you can just have a stronger base because you're not going to necessarily mm-hmm. like you're still going to have some of the same problems, but I think it's going to be better. It's worth noting, Nick Nurse did mention that having Yak would allow them to get more aggressive. So uh, <laughs> he's a sicko. Uh, yes, you mentioned is. who he's working with 
in pick and roll defense being an important element of this too. And I think this is a really important question for the Raptors to try to answer between now and the end of the season. Fred Van Vliet, obviously, offensively, I think has kind of come back to what everybody expects from him. Obviously, the three-point percentage season long is still down to like 34.5%. You would expect that the regression to the mean will probably continue here as he's gotten a little bit more comfortable offensively. Obviously, the arrival of Yak on offense is very helpful for him too. We'll talk about that coming up in the next segment. But as far as Fred's defense, there's been a clear drop-off, it seems, in his on-ball ability so far obviously he's still an incredible dig down guy he's got those iron fists he can pull steals away from nothing like he's got all that going for him as like a team defender but as an on ball guy the blow buys have been uh pretty frequent all season long i'm curious mark there are plenty of teams that survive not so great point of attack point guard defense and oftentimes it's because they have good rim protection behind them do you think Jakob Pertl, even if this defensive decline of sorts that we've seen with Fred is a thing that's going to persist, I would assume the offense will stick. He's obviously a great shooter, all of that. But if the defensive decline is real, is Yak a good enough defender in pick and roll at the rim, sort of bailing out those mistakes, where you feel comfortable going forward with Fred Van Vliet as your point of attack lead defender? Obviously, this is a question they're going to have to answer by season's end with him being a potential free agent if he opts out, which he presumably is going to do. Curious how you think Yak figures into that decision-making with whether or not Fred can be the dude long-term. Well, I think that's part of why I'd like to see them um, maybe be more willing to to play less aggressive, honestly, because I think... And this is something we saw last year, too, at least in my opinion. I felt like Fred was so good both ways at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. And then as he took on even more of an on-ball load as the year went on, I felt like his, you saw his defense drop off a little bit. Like, sure. it's just really hard to play as many minutes as he's I mean, playing 37 minutes per game, being asked to switch on to bigger guys pretty often. And also, like, it's more – it's less about the switching. It's more just like, okay, defend this guy on an island. Like, that's a lot easier said than done. I think Fred excels as a, as a guy who – um, can get over screens and chase behind. And I think when you have Jakob, I'm like, not that it's easier to chase over screens, but I think when you're saying, okay, we're going to play this two-man game and you're going to be asked to just be a deterrent that can kind of funnel things instead of um, being somebody who has to shut something completely down in the perimeter. I think you're making it at least a little bit of an easier thing for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hopeful that that can be better, but also like – I mean, like you mentioned with his shot, like Fred's played really well recently, but I still think you yeah. can tell like his legs aren't there, mm-hmm. um, which I think has shown up on both sides of the court a little bit. Um, so it is uh, it is interesting. Yeah, for sure. Uh, last little nugget on the defense and sort of the, I guess the reassignment of responsibilities with Yak now as the sort of go-to rim protecting center. Uh, you mentioned Precious Achua and the way he can kind of be like a, you know, a help side guy, low, low man, that type of stuff. Uh, what is your general sort of thought on wing Precious in general? Because it seems like the arrival of Yak is going to funnel him maybe closer towards that development track and I am personally kind of intrigued by it considering his first step his ability to kind of blow by a tilted defense the three-point shooting obviously has to come otherwise you're not doing a whole lot with that kind of player archetype but um, just general thoughts on wing precious and what he can kind of bring in that more sort of you know less you're you're leaning on him less for you know your backline rim protection than they were have been in the past. Well, I think it's interesting because what I'd really like to see is, you know, give him opportunities to play alongside Yak, of course, you know, playing him at the four, but also, mm-hmm. okay, let him be the backup center um, sure. instead of, you know, what that situation has been like for most of this year. 
Mm-hmm. Um, because I think you saw, like, I mean, obviously our mutual friend Samson Folk wrote a really great piece about how Precious became this awesome room protector last year and really improved in that facet. And I think you want to keep developing and leaning into that stuff. But I think already you've seen some really exciting things with him just getting to be that backline defender and playing alongside Doc that I've liked. Mm-hmm. Um, offensively, I think, like you mentioned, is where it gets more interesting. And part of why I was very in on on Yak as a as an offensive fit for this team like I mean yeah exactly like you mentioned like Precious needs to shoot it and shoot it well but like how many guys on this team are really getting regarded as shooters mm-hmm. on the court and like I think, three <laughs> yeah like Fred well, Joe Wieskamp now so four <laughs> like like Fred OG and, and Gary and I think that's kind of it like mm-hmm. I mean like yeah OG shoots the ball well but um, I mean, I already mentioned OG. I mean, like Scotty will shoot, Pascal shoots, but I think most teams are comfortable to just say, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to let you because we don't want you to, to attack the middle. Um, but, you know, like I think to me that we've already seen, especially in the Orlando game with how Orlando was playing. Mm-hmm. And I think it was interesting to see because Orlando really toggled up what they were trying to do too. Like Orlando was like, okay, we're just going to switch everything and see how it goes. Jakob absolutely punished Markel Fultz. For, for 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 being on him like and mm-hmm. i thought that was a that was really key to see because you want to see Jakob come out and be really aggressive and attack those switches because the best way to to force that to not happen again is to to punish it for happening mm-hmm. um like he has that intermediate touch and as infuriating as his free throws can be like <laughs> he's just capable of making things happen in the middle of the court um he is the obviously other than like pascal like i think he is going to be the best middle of the floor decision maker like he does everything mm-hmm. really quickly he really connects things in the offense and i think even with what was fun is like watching him and scotty in their two-man game i'm really excited for how that can blossom like i think there were a lot of questions it's like well scotty's not really shooting well and what is that gonna look like he was really excelling as a screener and i still want to see more of them continuing to do that but mm-hmm. if you really want to see him grow as a ball handler okay well sneakily this team's screening has sucked the last couple of years. Yeah, man. Like that's <laughs> it's part been very of, bad. <laughs> like that's part of the difficulty in not having a center. It's like, I mean, I think there are guys who do things that are interesting as screeners. Like, mm-hmm. like there are guys like Fred is one of the best ghost guys in the league. But so yeah, I think when you look at that, that's really exciting. Because even like creating space for Scotty, I think has been there. Like you even if teams are going to try and switch something, you can you can flip a screen really quick or um, you just open up that, okay, Yak rolling down the middle. And again, by virtue of being big and having that touch and, and making decisions very quickly and making the right decisions. Like, again, you saw him and Precious connecting a couple times during the Orlando game. And mm-hmm. um, more importantly, too, like for, uh, um, for Fred, I think, again, in the Orlando game, you saw really good stuff for him. Like, uh, it's still difficult shots that I think Fred was hitting and, and having to take, but you're getting more out of having Jakob screen for him. Um, and I'm interested to see what this looks like for Malachi too, because I have been interested mm-hmm. in, in, in what this has done. I mean, this is the first real big Malachi's gotten to play with. Like big that is like a real rotation player right now, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am excited about what that means going forward, because I just think you see, even with the quote unquote, him not being a, a shooter, I do think it opens up the floor in a way that um, wasn't always readily available in how they the roster was constructed beforehand. For sure. You hit on a lot of things there offensively that very much intrigue me with Yak. We're going to come back on the other side. We're going to dig into that a little bit more. In particular, the Yak-Scotty pairing, the Yak-Pascal-Scotty front court, and the offensive viability of that. Of course, three guys who, uh, as you just noted, are not dudes people are all that worried about shooting. 
but I kind of think maybe they can work something out there. We're going to get to that in just one second here. Before we do that, we got to tell you about our friends over at FanDuel, the, of course, number one sports book in all of the land. And, of course, they are our new wonderful partners here at Locked On. And new customers, you're going to want to be a new customer for FanDuel because a new customer gets no sweat first bets up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first doesn't first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. And what better time than the, the stretch drive here going into the playoffs? You've got, of course, the NHL. You've got MLB futures and all of that coming up here as well. Busy time of the sports calendar lies ahead. If you want to get in on the action, FanDuel is the place to go. You can bet on everything from the money line to the point scores to three points drained and you can also do something like a combined bet for a bigger chance at a payout for like a same game parlay for example maybe you're at a game for example this is kind of where i if i do dabble in sports wagering is when i'll do it as i'll go to a game it'll kind of enhance my live experience i could do a same game parlay in the building my cousin when we went to the raptors hornets game a few weeks ago won a same game parlay with FanDuel sitting right next to me it was crazy so don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sports book partner of the NBA and of Locked On. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, we continue on picking up the thread of the offensive, uh, you know, implications of the arrival of Jakob Pertl in Toronto. And back to the Scotty Barnes Jakob Pertl thing. This, I think, was maybe the most interesting element of adding Jakob Pertl because in the month, month and a half preceding the trade deadline, Scotty Barnes had taken off working from the middle of the floor as their primary screener, short roll guy, surveying from the spot, the spot on the floor where he can really do a lot of damage. Of course, he's very good at getting to that floater range. He can get to the rim again and score over some of the best rim protectors alive already at this point in his career. And it seemed like that kind of unlocked a better version of Scotty, for at least right now. I think long term, the vision is, you know, he's going to have the ball in his hands a little bit more often. He's going to be more of a primary creator. I think that's what they would like to see from him down the line. Whether you think he can get there, I'm sure is a matter of taste. But I'm curious, Mark, do you think there is maybe like a trade-off here of like a short term, maybe a lessening of the impact of Scotty Barnes as there's just less room for him to operate in the middle of the floor? Not to say there's none, because you can have Yak in the dunker and work the short roll that way and you know still have Scotty screen and whatnot. But obviously, you're going to have Yak be your primary screener more often because he's the best at it. He's really good at screening, as you alluded to before. Is there, do you think, a trade-off, though, if this maybe... It empowers a little bit more on-ball creation from Scotty Barnes with an actual pick-and-roll partner in Yakup Pertle. Do you think the development on that end will outweigh the drawbacks of having him work from the middle of the floor a little bit less often, which is his best-suited role as it stands right now at age 21 in year two? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I I think that this will do um, stuff that I'm really excited about for him. Like again, like you mentioned, I think that you might see some some trade-off and him not being the primary screener and being asked to do some of the things that were working for him recently. But 
part of why I like this trade, and I talked about this a lot um, with regards to what I liked about San Antonio and part of the reason why I was always in on them saying, you know, having a high price on Yaku, mm. wanting to keep him around. Like, he's been really good for the development of all the guards that have come through San Antonio. Like, just right. virtue of being somebody who can open up space for them, make reads uh, consistent. Um, you know, like, again, so much of pick and roll is um, being able to – continue to, to read the same thing and, and get better, improve your feel for how you see things um, and how you react to situations. And I think having somebody like Jakob who can come in and allow those more mechanical reads to develop uh, in a more organic way is important. And mm-hmm. like, again, like I, it's, I, I get some of the frustration about the draft picks. Um, but I think to me, a, this is coming from uh, um, like, I was talking to an executive yesterday and I think, when you look at stuff like this, um, it's important to remember. And I'm not trying to say that I know more, that they know more, but it's just like it's just a different <laughs> perspective. Like, sure, yes, that first round pick could be really exciting, but also Scotty Barnes is a second year player right now. They're focused on what he can do and what he can do to get them better. Because are they realistically going to have a pick as high as what Scotty has been for them? Um, mm-hmm. No. Um, and I, I think some fans would disagree with me on that. I don't think that there's any interest from the, the Raptors to to have a pick that low again, if we're being yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, so I look at it and I'm like, okay, this is – the idea is, A, we're doing something now. Like, Jakob is in his prime. We can re-sign him. He's going to help Scotty develop. And he can also help some of the other guys on our roster while giving mm-hmm. us more of a base. And I think that's important um, in terms of just stabilizing things. You can build up from there. Um, because if you can – have the excitement of not even just excitement, but like you have the the baseline, like who even just discounting what, what happens with Pascal and OG, which that sounds like a lot, but I mean, just looking squarely at, we have Scotty Barnes when you're continuing to develop that out and, and what that can look like. I think like that's your foundation. That's what you have. Like, obviously mm-hmm. you don't want to just totally disregard the draft, but I think when you're looking at, okay, what can we add to this? How can we keep building on this instead of tearing something down all the way to the, to the ground again? Um, and how we can go from there. Because, like, even if you're talking about, like, if OG gets traded this summer, okay, well, if you have this thing that is still building in a positive direction, it's a lot easier to figure out how you're going to fit things around that and build around Mm -hmm. Um, So I know that was a really long tangent, but I think, like, that's part of why I felt like there had I was a lot more interested and optimistic about the Fit, even if it wasn't, quote-unquote, them – winning right now like i still think like and i know we're gonna talk about it but like i think playing is pretty realistic for them um but no like they're not going to are they going to win a playoff series this year i would be pretty shocked mm-hmm. um but i think this is a lot about building for the next couple of years yeah i think like the the misnomer and the sort of misconception about being a treadmill team is that like at some point you got to pass through the middle no one wants to be in it's not like yeah. on the way to where you want to get and yes the raptors won 48 games last year, so it feels particularly gross to be falling back to 500-ish, but, like, this stuff isn't linear, and they have a 21-year-old guy who uh, is going to be their agent for improving their ceiling and getting better down the line. And, yeah, I think Yak is such a great guy to pair with Scotty, despite the shooting concerns. Just, he obviously helps enhance the players around him with the stuff he does, and obviously having that with Scotty is very valuable. Um, the Barnes Siakam Pirtle front court. I'm a sicko for this because I love big dudes who throw cool passes. Uh, you know, Pascal's been a 
okay-ish shooter this year. He's had his hot and cold stretches. Scotty's obviously 30%, not not what you want. Yak, I still don't think, has ever taken a three uh, or hit one. <laughs> so, best, you know. Yeah. Yeah, we don't want to see it. I've, I've seen him take threes before. We don't need to see it again. <laughs> I've seen him take free throws before. Uh, you know, floater <laughs> ranging in is cool. It's all it's all good, Yak. Don't worry about it. You're very good at it, as it turns out, 15 to 17. Um, so my question to you, Mark, is, you know, the Raptors have actually been pretty good on offense of late, you know, kind of flirting with top 10 most of the season since January 1st, whatever, you know, parameter you want to put on it. They've been around a top 10-ish offense and made it work despite being very ugly at times. The Siakam Barnes Pirtle trio doesn't strike you as your typical front court in that there's, again, not a ton of shooting there. There is some overlap in skill. But I, for me, I just feel like that's three smart dudes, three guys who understand this, the, like the maneuvering and the, the, the sort of manipulation of space in close quarters. If you have a couple of good shooters paired with them, whether it's an OG and Fred, a Gary and Fred, an OG and Gary, whatever you want, um, I feel like it's workable. It might end up being an offense that just kills you with a thousand floaters, and hey, maybe that's not a bad thing. Um, but like, what's your sort of read and your your sort of optimistic optimism level on the ceiling of an offense that features a Barnes, Siakam, Pirtle front court as it stands right now? Yeah, I think it makes it uh, all that much more important on who the guards are. Is mm. how I would put it. Um, yeah. Like, I think that, that that's a front court that to me can really thrive if they get some guards who are really excellent pull up shooters mm. and also just very, that can get paint touches of regularity. And um, there isn't a guy like that on the roster right now. Like, no mm -hmm. offense to Fred, like, obviously, very good pull up <laughs> shooter, but like, that's, that's just not him. Um, so I think that's, again, when we're talking about what this offseason could be for them, it's really important in figuring out what that is. Cause, like you mentioned, I think the three of them, could fit really well together. Like you're going to have some inherent uh, questions about um, about spacing in the half court, but I think it's kind of like what we've seen with the Cavs, and even like to to a to a different degree, of course. Like I think that that front court is not the same offensively to what you're getting with this. Like I think there's mm -hmm. a lot more potential here with what they can bring right now. Like Pascal would be the best offensive player out, if, even if you stack them up with with Jarrett and and Evan. Like that's no sure. question. Yeah. Um, but like you mentioned, I think you just have three guys who can all pass, be in the right place, who can cut. Like Scotty's shot development's gonna be really important. But like yeah. he can, again, he can drive the basketball. It's important. Um to me, like it you you just have something interesting when you have three guys who are all that size that can play um within within the arc and and know how to operate with each other. Cause like I think part of what's been difficult in seeing guys the last year, like somebody can look and be like, well, you know, they've had tons of bigs playing already like so what's the difference like okay well instead of no offense to precious but like instead of precious or 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 chris like who mm -hmm. are both fantastic cutters but like you've seen them pass before like sure have that's <laughs> like, i don't know if i've like, seen precious pass before actually well, yeah, now, that you, now that you mention it well, like, yeah, i mean precious, like the precious is like showing some stuff as like a short roll guy but like in terms of like if he dribbles the, mm -hmm. the passing is is an adventure um, even OG, like I think OG can make some really good interior passes and stuff, but he's not like a guy that I trust to make like super quick decisions all the time and mm -hmm. be somebody who's like elite with that. But I think with this group, you have the ability of, even if you are playing pretty, um, pretty quote unquote cramped, I think like the ability with the, the touch and the passing ability between all three of those guys, even if you're playing in a more cramped setting, okay, well, defense has to play with you. Like mm -hmm. if you're mm -hmm. playing against a team that's going pretty small, I think that's a lineup that I would 
be like, I mean, you can obviously bring up the whole, what if they just foul Jakob? Like that's definitely a, <laughs> that's definitely a thing, but um, I mean, this is a team that could really be dynamic on the offensive glass and punish teams that are playing smaller. Um, mm-hmm. And I think again, by having Jakob out there defensively, it's going to matter with the guards too, again, as, as we mentioned, but like, I think having that added safety net on both sides of the court just gives you some more leeway uh, mm-hmm. to do things. So um, I'm excited about what that group can look like moving forward. Yeah, again, I, I big to big passing. Siakam and Pirtle were the two dudes who kind of got me wise to oh, big to big passing is the basketball thing I like the most. And now uh, we get to and see it, it all the time. Really well. <laughs> I love it. It's beautiful. Um, we're gonna come back on the other side. Get Mark's quick thoughts on the play-in drama in the Eastern Conference. Where do the Raptors stack up with all these other jokers in the bottom part of the Eastern Conference? These treadmill teams going nowhere. We'll get to that in just one sec. But just a reminder: Locked On Leafs is your daily Toronto Maple Leafs podcast with Dave Morissuti and Mike DiStefano breaking down the buds. A big five-two win last night for your Toronto Maple Leafs. Go check him out on the road to the playoffs and the trade deadline. Bring me Timo Meyer. Go listen to Locked On Leafs every day wherever you get your podcasts. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and locked on nba is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama every monday jackson gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league helping to break down the nba playoffs mark your calendars to listen to locked on nba every monday to be up to date locked on nba available on youtube and wherever you get podcasts part of the locked on podcast network your team every day all right uh, Mark, the play-in. The Toronto Raptors currently occupy, I believe, as of last check, the ninth seed in the right. Eastern Conference. It might be down to 10th after last night's games. No, they're in ninth. Uh, no, they're in ninth. Uh, around them, you have the Knicks in sixth. Uh, I think the Nets, as much as everyone wants to predict their downfall, they're too competent and have too many wins banked and are seven games ahead of the Raptors in the loss column. I don't think you're catching the Nets. But sixth... Four games in the lost column behind the Knicks, who are playing quite well. Also, maybe a bit of a stretch. You got the Heat in seventh right now at 32 and 27. The Hawks at 29 and 30. Boy, the Hawks stink. Uh, the Raptors at 28 and 31. The Wizards 27 and 30. Bulls 26 and 32 and 11th. And the Pacers, your beloved Indiana Pacers, Mark, are slip, slip, sliding into the Wemby zone. Um, thoughts here on, like, how would you handicap these teams? I, I guess maybe the question is, of these teams as they're constructed right now, which like you're just a single game, you know, obviously we'll see how the, the schedule plays out and the play in seedings and all those things work out. But have the Raptors put themselves into a spot where in a single game against any one of these teams, you would give them the edge or are there other teams that are pretty clearly ahead of them at the moment? Uh, man, see a, it would be really fun to watch. I don't, I don't the Knicks could fall into that seven seed, but like you mm-hmm. mentioned, they haven't played pretty well recently. Um, my prediction is still that I think the Knicks or Miami are going to end up taking the five spot from Brooklyn. Um, okay. Like I like Brooklyn. I think they've been, I mean, watching Mikhail Bridges last night at drop 45 career high was like out of body experience. <laughs> was, like absolutely. He was cooking Jimmy Butler in isolation, which I was not expecting uh, when I mm-hmm. turned on my TV last night. Um, One of my takes still, before the season was if you swapped OG and Mikal Bridges, the Suns would actually be better. Uh, Mikal has done the offensive leap thing that OG has uh, yet to even imagine. So uh, I was wrong on that one. <laughs> well, to me, it's still early. He was doing really good things at the end of the uh, at the end of his tenure with the Suns. To be fair, too, mm-hmm. but it's like, yeah, I uh, I still just 
I, as much as I enjoy watching this new iteration of the Nets, I think that they have some clear flaws that got pointed out already in that six mm-hmm. game that I think teams are really going to take advantage of. They're going to be scrappy, but I would imagine that they're going to fall out. Um, Miami, I, just, I don't know what that team is. Like, uh, Kyle. <laughs> I was Spurgeon, watching their game against Denver a couple nights ago, and it's like, yeah. who are these dudes they're playing? It's, it's insane. It's, like, on, on the one hand, like, Bam has legitimately turned into a top 15 player. Like, I mm-hmm. think he's been their best player this entire season for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some people would say, Jimmy, I would still point at Bam, the way that he's taken over in crunch time um, and just been their guy who they go to the most. It's been him. Um, His floater game, positively Jakob Pertle-esque. Uh. Yeah. And his <laughs> is great in between. Like, it's always been there, but I think he's hit a new height with it this year that's been really fun. But mm-hmm. um, point being, uh, I – Kyle has been such a question mark at times this year, but I think part of what's difficult is you really feel it when they miss Kyle. Yeah. But then when they have Kyle, it's like, oh, we have Kyle. And it's like, <laughs> um, so it's, it's a weird spot for Miami. That's not meant to be shade at him, but it's like, that's what happens when you're 36. You're 36, um, man. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what happens. Um, so, I, you know, luckily I have 11 years before then. So I'm, I'm trying to get my prime <laughs> in uh, before then. But um, point being, like, I think Toronto could beat them. In a, in a one game series, Atlanta. I have no faith in Atlanta. Um, Why granted, would you, frankly? Any any kind of run <laughs> can happen, but I don't see it with them, and I don't mm-hmm. know if they see it with themselves either. So that's part of the problem. Uh, every time it feels like they're starting to click and find something. Like I was ready right before the beginning of February, um, or I mean, like towards the end of January, they have that five game winning streak. It's like okay, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe they're finding something. Go one and four win two games, lose two games. And it's, the problem is, like, they lose games that they shouldn't lose. Right. It's like it's never – like, losing to Charlotte when your team's mostly healthy is a joke. No offense to Charlotte, but, like, not this year. Yeah, that team's um, awful. Even the Raptors, at the height of them sucking in the middle of January, uh, beat the Hornets twice in a row. It's – uh, yeah. It's yeah, bad. exactly. And then with <laughs> – I mean, just to, to round out, like Chicago, I'm not there. I know they they played better recently, and then they followed that up with – Five straight, five straight L's. Losses. So <laughs> it's like, I, I mean, the, yeah, yeah. The, the East is, the, the bottom of the East has been kind of gross. Like Washington, again, had, had played better. And then I still don't really believe it. Like they, they I mm-hmm. think they ripped off six straight wins at the end of January and then they lost three straight. And then, and it, again, like it's, it's like discouraging losses too. It's not like mm-hmm. stuff that I feel good about because they were playing really well without Porzingis. Porzingis comes back and then it's like, oh, we're mid again. And so I don't know, like this is very reductive analysis for myself, but like point being, I think the Raptors have a chance. I, I mm-hmm. would doubt that they get out of playing range. I don't know. There's a lot of ground to make up. It's, it's a ton tough. of ground to make and up. And a ton of teams. They to are jump. arguably the team that I feel the best about climbing out and, and getting to that seven seed uh, mm-hmm. compared to the rest of the teams in that in that mix. Yeah, I mean, I think as it stands right now, you'd have to put the Knicks ahead of them just based on like sure. body of work. Oh, yeah. This I was counting them in Miami but, ahead. Yeah. Um, but like after the Knicks, you know. I think you could talk yourself into the Raptors being scarier than any of these teams in a one game situation. And maybe even against the Knicks, like 
I don't think the Knicks are some world-beating juggernaut or anything like that. They're good. They're competent, which I guess is, uh, you know, what what's what's to be striven for in New York. Uh, but like, I, 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 this is a way of me saying. I think as of right now, you could make an argument that the Raptors are one of the six best teams on paper in the Eastern Conference, which is maybe not a thing you would have said a couple weeks ago. But with the exodus of the Nets talent and just the way these other teams are playing and the way Pirtle has kind of settled things. I think there's some optimism to be had over how they can finish this season. Uh, Mark, you got to get out of here because you have media man things to do. So we're going to let you go. Thank you so much for being here. Anything you want to plug for the good people out there? No, man, I just appreciate you having me on, Sean. It's always good to catch up, man. Of course, dude. We'll have you on again soon. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back again tomorrow. Joey Devine of Round Ball Rock is going to come by. We're going to have some all-star related fun. Remember some all-star guys from Raptors history, and uh, that'll be a good way to send you off into all-star weekend. We'll leave it there. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you Friday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Bye-bye. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.